everybody. This is Tuesday Morning Grind, episode number 38. Today we have Mike Meyer with us. Mike's the VP of Security at Sales Loft, has an extensive background in the audit and consulting space, a lot of certifications, uh, privacy certifications, security certifications, um, and you work at Sales Loft, which is an Atlanta staple here. It's gotten about $250 million in funding and is a, yet another unicorn here in the Atlanta area with a $1.1 billion valuation and you've been there for a whole lot of that journey, building a security program. So, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, of course. Of course. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, uh, Mike, obviously, uh, you and I know each other from before we worked together at SalesLoft. So, uh, Risk360 and SalesLoft worked together, but we were in consulting together before that. So, I'd love to just give you an opportunity. You're one of these guys who has grown up from consulting all the way to the head of security at a really cool startup. Can you talk about your journey? How'd you get there? How'd you get into the space? Yeah, um, uh, a whole lot of things I couldn't have foreseen, you know, years ago when I started my career. Um, you know, I, I started working at Deloitte in the technology risk practice. Uh, from there, I got a little bit of exposure to SOC 2 and service auditing. Um, and then where, where you and I worked together was at Shellman. So spent some mm -hmm. time at Shellman. Uh, uh, excellent firm. Can't, can't speak highly enough. Uh, of Shellman and, and the time I had there, uh, learned from lots of great, uh, you know, you know, uh, service auditing and and uh, and security and GRC professionals in, in that space. Or in, in my time at Shellman, and actually one of the things that that was uh, you know that that directly led to my my experience or my uh, the opportunity to to work with SalesLoft and start on this journey uh, was getting to work with SalesLoft as a as an auditor for for one of their projects. Um, when they were just kind of getting started with their SOC 2. And so when it came time for them to actually hire somebody to kind of uh, to build the security program full time, instead of some of the folks that were sort of doing the, the security stuff really well, by the way, uh, but mm -hmm. kind of on the side, in addition to their day job, um, you know, that was, that ended up being a, a great fit. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. So you, you took the journey that a lot of folks want to take and that you kind of start your career in that big consulting firm at Deloitte move through and then eventually come the head of security at a client or, or someone in the field that you're experiencing. What was the calculation like for you in terms of making the jump from the consulting space into industry? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think some of it was experiencing SalesLoft as a consultant and getting to be in the office, getting to work with some of the people who, who were there, um, getting to see the incredible journey that they were on and that they clearly had in front of them. Um, and then, you know, and then some of it was also, hey, I, I get all this exposure, this this kind of uh, mile wide, inch deep exposure to all these different companies. Uh, when I find one, I want to go deep. I want to dive in and work with that company um, and get to know their security program inside and out. Um, and then also not just get to know it, but but be part of building it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's one thing to go into an established security program and and lead something that's already been built. Uh, that mentality of wanting to build something, uh, I think, is really what what stood out for me as a as a huge driver yeah. for, for that change. Huge opportunity. So, um, a lot of security leaders. What, what I like about what you've done and the opportunity that you've had at SalesLoft is SalesLoft has had a, a a meteoric rise in terms of growth and exposure, and you are kind of there at that upside and had an opportunity to build that. And um, as a security leader, you kind of have to sit back and take stock in what you're building uh, before you do it. So can you talk about, like, you came from consulting, obviously had a little bit of knowledge of SalesLoft because they were a client, but then you had to build the program 
What, right. what was your kind of first 90 days taking stock of what needed to do, what the priorities were and, and how to begin that journey? I, I love the question. I love the, the immediate story that comes to mind for me with that is when I first started at sales loft, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, I tried to spend a lot of time listening, just understanding what is this company? Um, what are the potential risks? What are the, what is, what's the day-to-day, uh, life of a security professional at sales loft, uh, going to look like? Uh, what, what does the life of an employee look like? And what, are, what, what does each employee need to know about their responsibility when it comes to security? Uh, but so one day my, my boss was one of the co-founders, uh, a guy named Rob Foreman hired me in. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's our president chief strategy officer today. He and I took a walk during a one-on-one kind of around the block in our old office in Buckhead. And I'm just going down this list of like, here's a bunch of stuff I think we should do. And I get back, we get back and we go to the, the Octane that was there at uh, Atlanta Tech Village and we sit down and it's like, so what do you think? What you know, how do, how do we, how do we tackle this? And he's like, just, just go do it. <laughs> and I remember thinking, all right, let's do it. Um, and so from there, it was all about um, building a roadmap, right? Understanding, all right, you can't do all these things at once. At the time, it was a team of one uh, with lots of extremely helpful team members throughout the company, uh, but nobody's, you know, dedicated to security at the time. And so, um, you know, the, the next step was, all right, what, what are the, uh, you know, what are the immediate things that we can start to tackle uh, and actually, one of the things that before I even came in, uh, the, the company had an initiative to go go ahead and get ISO 27001 certified. And so that ended up being kind of the, the number one priority was was getting our ISO 27001 certification. And by the way, not just checking the box to make sure we pass the audit, but actually putting processes and, and controls in place that, that mm-hmm. would scale with the business. So uh, uh, security has the habit. There's, there's kind of two archetypes of security folks. There's the pushovers, I would say, you know, uh, they're going to do what they're told, maybe do the compliance, check the box. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other type that like the sky is falling, everything's a disaster. And neither right. one of those approaches really work because you kind of have to really think about what the business's objectives are and try to accomplish those. But to do that, right. you have to have some influence. Mm-hmm. How did you go about, and, and I'm, I'm having worked in many startups, like sales as growth, hiring people, those are top priorities. Mm-hmm. How did you get leadership to pay attention to information security long enough to accomplish your mission? How did you gain that influence? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, one, I think there's, there's one thing I would say, I wish I would done, would have done better at the time. And I've, I've had an opportunity as I've been here a while to, yeah. to kind of build, build, but something I would have changed in the first 90 or so days would have been build relationships with the people who, uh, who you're going to be working with. Right. You're going to be working with IT. You're going to be working heavily with sales. If you're in if you're in this kind of environment, a SaaS startup, um, you know you're going to be working with uh, the, the engineering and, and technology teams, the product team. Um, and like I said, I, I've had an opportunity now to kind of build those relationships. But I, I wish that would have been a, a higher priority for me uh, at the beginning, uh, because the context for that influence that you mentioned is there if you've got the relationships right. Um, if you've, if you've got that foundation of trust with the people you're working with, when you, when you talk about something as critical, uh, something that is, is going to be critical for the business, there's at least some context there. And it's not like the only exposure that team has to you is you saying the sky is falling, right? If I'm saying yep. the sky is falling, it's because the sky is falling and we, we need to do something about it. Um, you know, as opposed to if you haven't had time to build those relationships, then, you know, like I said, that the only exposure that you have with those teams is or with those leaders in the business is this guy's kind of always uh, 
you know, chicken little, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, what are you doing today? I mean, you have a very large organization hiring people all the time. You have a program in place, but you still have to, you know, keep security top of mind for a pretty big employee base and a leadership base. Right. What kind of stuff do you do today to, to educate and train and keep it in top of mind? Yeah, so we meet with with each team uh, in different ways throughout the year. Uh, we just had a meeting with with our product team at their all hands to kind of talk through at a high level what our what our security team does, uh, and then also kind of you know uh, what the what some of the, the uh, emerging trends in the security landscape are. Uh, and we we talk a lot about data privacy too. GDPR is is a huge area of focus for us uh, at our team. Uh, but I also you know in in that meeting and with other other you know, team meetings, I, I try to make sure that we're also treating that as a learning experience for us, right? Nobody knows our product better than our product team. Yep. Uh, I'd like to understand what they view as the potential risks long-term to, to the product or to our customers through our product, right? And so, um, so that we can appropriately address them you know, uh, over time and prioritize them through our, our risk management uh, methodology. And so, um, so that's you know, one of the things we do is just literally just have FaceTime with those teams. Um, we have, uh, you know, we use Slack as a communication yep. tool and we've got lots of, lots of different channels for, you know, to, to interact with our support team, our tech ops team, our IT team. Um, so, so that security doesn't stay kind of on an island. We've also worked really hard to just embed ourselves into processes. So if there's a, a new feature going into the platform, you know, we, we have eyes on that. We at least know about it and we have the ability to say, to throw up the flag and say, Hey guys, I think this, this could potentially be either a compliance issue or there's a security concern. Um, and then thinking about kind of, uh, you know, at, a, at more of an executive level, we, we have a risk council that meets on a quarterly basis. And, and the purpose of that is just to stay informed across legal technology, product, finance, uh, to make sure that we've got, you know, visibility into uh, the risks that the business faces from an InfoSec perspective. But again, it's not just me talking. I want to hear from other, other folks in that meeting as well if there's something that we're missing. Yeah. As a consultant, you know, we have this, there's pros and cons of me and then consulting and being in the industry. As a consultant, you, you alluded to this early, you got a lot of reps, like you got to see a lot of different environments, uh, see what folks are doing well, not well, which means that you can bring those suggestions to other clients, but you never get to go as deep, mm -hmm. form relationships, see what it's like to maintain a program for a long time, wow. uh, that kind of thing. Um, as you have watched Sales Loft grow and, and, you know, get rounds of funding. How how have you seen, uh, if if at all, security play a role in terms of like M and A strategy or funding rounds or board of directors caring about security? Are they are they asking questions? Not asking questions? What's the role of the board these days? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great question. I think more and more the question comes up. Right, it comes up from uh, members of our board want to know what our what our security posture is, what we're doing to fight off. The stuff that you read about in the news, right? Um, and so, you know, I think uh, increasingly security is just becoming a commonplace topic of conversation, which is good news for all of us in the industry. Um, that said, there are more eyeballs on it and people have more questions. There are more conversations with the board. You mentioned specifically, uh, you know, funding rounds and, you know, as part of our, our uh, the one I remember being the, the heaviest was kind of uh, our Series C funding. We, we talked a lot about security and, you know, we we want to make sure that we are telling the story. And I think that's kind of part of the security uh, leader responsibility these days is being able to tell the story. We do all these different things. We do vulnerability management, threat detection. Uh, we, we have all these training programs. 
what what is the story that we're trying to tell about security at SalesLoft? And so, um, you know, that that was a, a huge learning experience for me is just, you know, uh, walking walking investors through that uh, and through how we think about security. Uh, how, how do you prep for that? Because I know like when I do a speaking event, I, I've been increasingly thinking about uh, like telling stories and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, talk about like, how do you get ready? That's an important meeting. You're like could potentially impact funding for a, right. for a rapidly growing organization. Who's in the room? Do you have your CEO in the room? Do people want to see it in advance? What's the level of preparation and stress that goes into like getting ready for something yeah. like that? Yeah, and by the way, it's certainly not just me in the room, right? We've got other folks who are, uh, you know, uh, privy to the, those mm-hmm. conversations as well as, uh, you know, privy to our security program as part of their role. And one of the pieces of that story that we, we try to make sure that we're telling, whether it's customers or investors or the board or whoever, uh, is that security is not, uh, while there is a security dedicated team, it is not a function of just that yeah. team. And so, uh, you know, our CTO, Scott Mitchell, he is, uh, you know, uh, he, he wouldn't say this, but I, I would. He is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to security. And so um, he's, he's a huge asset to our security program. And so making sure that customers see that, that, it, that security extends well beyond, uh, well beyond the, the security team walls, so to speak, um, yeah. you know, I think is important and, and helps to tell that story. Speaking about storytelling specifically, it's, it's not something that I'm naturally gifted at. It's something I've definitely had to work at. Um, but, uh, but, but a skill I'm, I'm learning to build on. I don't know. I don't know if you've had the same experience. Exact same experience. It's totally unnatural to do that. <laughs> so you have to Some practice. Are just naturally gifted for it, you know? Uh, so you, you mentioned kind of work structure. So one of the conversations I have with a lot of our clients that are kind of the high growth tech space is how do you do, how do, how do you even structure an organization in terms of a successful security organization? You already talked about how it's not the security team. You might be the steward of security, but you're not the security team. You have engineers and others. Right. Can you talk about how security is structured at, at SalesLoft and, and how it grew over time and what you've seen be successful? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we probably went through about 10 different iterations of, or 10 different, uh, 10 different ideas of how you could structure the team. Because there's no, no two security teams are going to be structured yeah. the exact same way. You could, you could break it up by discipline. You could say AppSec infrastructure, um, you know, uh, corporate security as one way of splitting it up, or you could do it how we've done it, which is we've got a governance risk and compliance team, which is responsible for policies, procedures. Um, they actually own uh, our training program as well as, uh, you know, compliance with all of the, the, the different frameworks that we, you know, we align with ISO and SOC 2 and GDPR, et cetera. Uh, and then we've got our security operations team, which is responsible for two things at a high level, vulnerability management and, and threat detection, right? Uh, you know, We've, we've got all these different scanning systems uh, that yeah. tell us, you know, when you've got a, a vulnerability in, uh, you know, an open source software dependency or uh, an operating system level vulnerability or CSPM has given you, you know, a uh, hundred, hundred different things to sort through, right? Who is in charge of actually manning those, those scanning systems and ensuring that things are being patched in, in accordance with SLAs and, uh, and threat detection is the other part of that, right? When an alert comes in, Who's responsible for being that first level of, hey, guys, we got an alert. We got to go investigate this and then helping to make sure that we follow our incident response process. And the last team is engineers, right? Our engineers are responsible for building. So those those systems didn't get deployed by themselves. The engineers are responsible for actually, you know, deploying uh, new systems, new technology 
uh, and in some cases, new processes to to ensure that we are, um, you know, that we're uh, that we we've done good threat modeling, that we um, that we have systems in place to detect threats where necessary, um, to to capture vulnerabilities at, in areas that maybe we haven't before. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of at a high level. That's how we've yep. we've really broken it up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we've got we've got some some plans in the future to to also have kind of a, a trust team that's dedicated to specifically serving customers. Very cool. Um, on the engineering side, so this is a common challenge everywhere. Uh, so we use this platform, Phalanx, that you know you know about, Mike, and we did an analysis of uh, what percentage of our clients are impacted by what categories of findings, and we found that like ninety eight percent of our clients have issues in SDLC and engineering, which was surprising mm-hmm. for me because most of our clients are high growth tech companies, which means they're DevOps, DevSecOps. So I thought it would be much lower, yeah. but what we found was um, and I'd love to know if this is your experience, but there's, especially at a startup, there's always this um, relationship of do I, how fast can I get a product to market, new features to market, uh, to remain competitive and grow quickly versus maybe slowing down a little bit to implement security or embedding security directly in. How, yep. how have you guys approached that? Have you hired like dedicated security engineers? Have you focused on tool sets and automation to enable existing engineers? What does that look like for you guys? We've seen work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the mentality that we have and it's, you know, we're not perfect at it and, and I would say nobody is, but we're, we're trying to be uh, better and better at shifting left in the development process, moving security further and further uh, left in the process. And so, you know, you think about like our CICD pipeline, we've, you know, we use our static analysis tools or, or done or there, right. We have, um, uh, I mentioned open source issues, right. We use, we use SNCC for that. And so, um, you know, we've we've put a number of tools in place to kind of to help. We've also put process in place. And when there's a new feature being created, security team has visibility into into those new new features and has an opportunity to say, hey, this this could potentially pose a problem. Uh, and then uh, we've also done and this is this is an area that I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to build on. But we've, we've done threat modeling um, at a high level. Right. So uh, understanding uh, based on the threat objectives that that are relevant to a given system or a given feature, right? What are the, what are the potential uh, threat objectives? What are the crown jewels associated with that objective? And then working back from there, what are the different vectors to potentially achieve that? What controls are in place? Uh, what, what controls are missing? Uh, and then what would an indicator of compromise potentially look like uh, in light of that, that pattern, right? That we've identified. Yep. And so, uh, so, you know, kind of a hodgepodge of technology and process that we put in place. You mentioned people. We have not to date. We have not hired like an AppSec uh, engineer. Part of the challenge that we've, we've thought about there is um, we've got like development or delivery team pods across the engineering team. And so it's the question is kind of where does that person fit? Right. Um, how, do, how do they how does somebody who works on a completely different product surface way over here? Uh, how, how are they? Uh, able to communicate with, you know, with this team over here that, that is, you know, kind of totally unrelated. Mm-hmm. Just having a single AppSec professional to be able to speak all of those, those languages uh, across the entire platform is, is pretty tough. You yeah. I like the, uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I like the, the approach of like kind of integrating DevSecOps into the whole pipeline, like you guys have done in terms of tool sets and, and things like that. That seems like a good first step. And then I see some organizations, begin to hire those full-time resources. But I, I like the approach you guys have taken in terms of integrating it into the process. Makes sense. 
Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I guess, I guess there, I guess there could be a wrong way to do it, but there's no right way to do it. There are multiple ways to skin that gap. Yeah. So one of the things when we're working with you guys that I'm always impressed with is, uh, it's from the outsider's perspective, it seems like you are often able to get the resources you need to do stuff that makes sense. And, uh, mm-hmm. The reason I say that's unique is because often in other clients, the biggest challenges is getting any resources or budget or or time at all. Mm-hmm. So it's this game of if it's not hurting from a compliance perspective or if a, a client saying they're not going to do business with me, I can't really get the resource. That's more common than I wish it was. But when we work with sales loft, typically, if it makes sense, you guys have it like you're, or you're thinking about it or you're moving into the process. What do you chalk that up to? What's the what's the process that you follow to successfully get resources and budget? Yeah, and, and I wish there was some some secret sauce, but I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And at the top, I think it probably stems from having a lot of security aware and competent people throughout the business, um, which isn't necessarily that the security team has done an amazing job training. People, I like to take, you know, think that we can take some credit for that, but I think we just have a lot of people who who get it. Um, we, you know, when I joined SalesLoft, we actually had a lot of uh, security people or people with security backgrounds um, at the company already in our, you know, in our DevOps team, and uh, one of our co-founders was actually had a, had an extensive background in security, and so, um, so that's that's definitely part of it, right? Having people who who know that world a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, is is super helpful. I also think relationship building has has been you know, again, going back to that context, um, so that when we say, Hey, in, in fact, one of the things I remember from the early days was actually, there was a, an audit finding that we didn't have enough capacity on our security team from risk 360. Yeah. So we presented yeah. that in our, in our risk council and said, Hey, look, it's, you know, part of, part of this, uh, business case that we're building here is we're, we're getting the same feedback from our, from our auditors as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, just, just being able to, to bring those findings and have the, the contextual relationships to, to help, um, you know, to help, uh, help drive urgency, but from a place of trust, you know, that we're, we're, if if we're saying it's a big deal, it it probably is, you know, that's, that's Um, key Uh, to me. That's like the most key thing. Uh, the fact that your executive peers can trust you, like, you know, they, they know that your interests are aligned to the businesses. You're not just asking for resources because you want to build this little kingdom and have a bunch of resources. You're saying, no, to move the ball forward, I need these resources. And if if they trust you, they'll give you those resources. And it seems like, not just at the security team, by the way, SalesLoft as a whole is, is well known to, to have that great kind of culture and it pays off. And that's a weird thing about culture uh, on a, as a side point is, it it shows up in places that you wouldn't expect. Like people expect security to be a very technical problem, but if you have a good corporate culture built on trust, well, that means when you have executives that need things and they ask for them, they typically get them, and they also ask reasonable requests, and then you have a better right. security program because you have trust right. at the top, which is cool. Um, yeah. And one more point on that, Christian, I, I think it's it's worth calling out that our executive team, it's not like. Somebody just asks the question and says, hey, I need resources and we've got this great relationship. So here you go. Um, but I think, you know, in any healthy organization, there's this idea that conflict and, and you know, the ability to say I disagree or pressure test an assumption or, and, you know, force somebody to state their business case and defend it. Um, you know, I, I think that's healthy. Right. And I think 
I have not been perfect in that. Like if you look at my record of, of, Hey, I'm making a business case. And then an executive pushes back. There have been moments where I've had to really question, like, I actually thought this was a good idea. And now the assumption or the, the challenge I just got from our CTO makes me totally rethink that. I go back to the yeah. drawing board and say, actually, let's talk about this again in three months. I'm, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, when you put it that way, maybe we don't need this. <laughs> right. Without giving yep. specific examples, you know, that, that, you know, we've, we've definitely had that happen where, where we had to go, Hey, I think there's a different way to, to approach this. Good stuff. So let's talk about, um, COVID-19. So obviously everybody knows, uh, two years ago, the world went remote and, uh, a lot of startups. And from what I know about sales loft, I mean, you guys were, you know, riding scooters around the office, like very traditional startup culturally from, from the outsider's perspective, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, culture built on the vibe in the office, the buzz, the energy, a lot of drive-bys in terms of walking my folks office, just very positive mm -hmm. upbeat, uh, place. And you guys had, um, like Slack and all the remote tools already, I, I believe. But um, talk about that. How did that impact you guys uh, moving or COVID? I assume you guys went remote. Can you talk about like what happened? How did it impact you guys? And how did you continue to manage the security program? And how yeah. do you continue to do that? I mean, I think we, as a business, just like everyone else, we learned, uh, one, that, that we could do it, which was interesting. I think that's probably the most important takeaway that like we actually, as a business, we we did really well uh, during COVID. We, we continue to, which is which is great. We have really good product market fit for, for a, a world like that. Um, but there's also this, um, you know, culturally, internally, when you look at uh, the way things changed, I think the probably the biggest change was, to your point, the drive-bys don't exist anymore. Uh, the quick conversations where I say, hey, you know what, I've got a like a super quick question. I think I know the answer. I'm going to go talk to somebody on our DevOps team and see if I can, can you know, get an answer on that. And also, by the way, get, get my steps in for the day by going up to, you know, the, a different floor to talk to somebody. Um, now that became every one of those conversations became a 30 minute meeting. Um, and so just, just the time management aspect of, of our lives had to kind of be adjusted. Uh, but that said, I, I almost wonder if it, I don't know this, but I almost wonder if it balanced out because we were able to have more heads down time when we needed it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and so, um, I don't know, it's just a, a different dynamic, a different type of a different like time management skill when you're all remote versus, versus in the office. Um, that was, that were, was a were there any, uh, technology changes? Like uh, as a startup, we often, uh, uh, benefit from already having a modern technology stack that's a little more right. agile than, than others. But if you think about like endpoint devices or, or infrastructure, was, were there any pivots that you guys had to make or were you able to kind of just continue business as normal, but now people are at home? It, it was fortunately, it was mostly business as usual for us. Uh, actually, part of our kind of business continuity planning from the beginning had had that built mm -hmm. in, right? That we use cloud-based systems um, and, you know, uh, not much should change in the event of a disaster. So it was really interesting to go look at our BCP at the beginning of the pandemic and go, all right, it looks like we're, we're actually pretty well prepared for this thing. Um, and obviously we, we learned a ton and things like, you know, zoom bombing and, and stuff like that became, uh, became real for us pretty quick. And, and we had to, to make sure that we had the right, you know, uh, settings in place and zoom yep. and other systems. But, uh, you know, by and large, we weren't, you know, deploying, uh, modern cloud, uh, applications, uh, you know, for the first time, like a lot of companies may, may have had to do. And so, um, 
so yeah, I think we were fortunate from that perspective. Um, we did, we did change some things technologically, um, you know, to kind of help us adapt to the, the changing workforce, but that was less a security thing and more of a, more of a culture thing. Sure. Um, leadership. So, you know, I think most security professionals, many, at least many aspire to be, you know, CISO or a VP of information security. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with you and your team and former team members. I know uh, a guy that we work with now that used to be at SalesLoft is now himself a leader at another organization, which is very cool, right? You get to re- watch those leaders grow. It's kind of a, you know, a little, uh, I feel successful because look, what I, I helped someone develop into that, which is great. Right. So t- talk about that. What's your, uh, how do you go about developing teams, leading teams? Mm-hmm. Are you formal, informal about it? What's your, what's your position there? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I like structure. I like for there to be, um, you know, uh, clear, clearly stated goals. I like for people to know what, what they're responsible for producing. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm good at, good at actually, uh, practicing that. Um, it's a, it's something I'm, I'm trying to be better and better at as a leader. Um, uh, but, but establishing clear goals, making sure that people know what their job responsibilities are, um, giving people clear metrics where they're where they make sense, and also recognizing that that like a num a numerical metric may not actually be the best way to measure performance. Um, that that's that can be tough for somebody who likes structure. Um, but you know, thinking about how how I like built the team, um, you know, the the most important thing for me is hiring people that can do things that you can't. So I came from a background as uh, an external auditor to uh, to companies who wanted SOC two certificate or SOC two reports and ISO cert- uh, certifications. So what would it look like for me to hire GRC professionals who have been on the other side of the desk? Uh, what would it look like for me to hire engineering and ops professionals? We actually brought in an engineer to our team over from our tech ops team who brought a ton of infrastructure knowledge uh, to our team and is an unbelievable resource for us. And so, um, you know, I think that would be my like. Uh, my, my number one piece of piece of advice to anybody building a team is make sure as you're building your team, hire people who can do things you can't don't hire a bunch of copies of you. Um, you know, uh, hire people who have the skills you don't have, uh, so that you get that wide breadth of skills on your team. Um, and to your point about, you know, having people leave the company and, and go be successful in other places. Um, you know, it's, it can be hard to stomach at the time, but man, um, you know, in, in all seriousness, I, it, it, it gives me pride to see somebody, you know, leave, leave our program and go on and start another one and be successful somewhere else. Sure. What about coaching and mentoring? Do you, uh, do you do any kind of formal coaching with others or, uh, performance reviews or, or, or is it kind of informal? What, what's your, what have you seen work for you? Yeah. And it's, it's especially interesting when you hire people who have skills you don't have, like, the main thing you can add, the main benefit you can provide is through coaching and mentoring and seeing some of the, the pitfalls that, you know, that, that they may be going through that you've gone through in the past. Maybe not from a technical perspective, but from a professional, uh, you know, relationship building perspective. Um, it could be as simple as, you know, the, the way somebody communicates over email, right? Talking them through that and helping them to develop in that way. Um, I do uh, one-on-ones with all of my direct reports uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, just depending on preference. I, I find that time to be, um, if if we don't, if, if if for no other reason, it's just a time to catch up, right? We may talk about our personal lives the entire 30 minutes. Generally, 
you know, we, we do talk work stuff. Um, but, uh, at least for me, and I hope they feel the same way. I hope the team feels the same way, right? It's a, it's a, uh, it's a time for us to just catch up and make sure that people are in a good place and then to provide that constructive feedback if it's needed. Um, but also making sure that, uh, in addition, uh, and, and I would say more importantly, uh, is providing the, the like, Hey, you crushed it on this project. Like those kinds of making sure you celebrate the wins because man, I mean, you're going to be moving. If you're starting a security program at a SaaS startup, that's growing super fast, uh, you are going to be moving at hundred miles an hour all the time. And it's going to be really easy not to celebrate the wins. You've got to take that pause to just say, we did this. We, we knocked this out of the park, um, you know, and, and celebrate those wins so that, so that there's, again, keep using this word, but context for those, those, uh, constructive conversations. For sure. So let's talk about, um, not so loft in particular, but just like the emerging threat environment that, that we're dealing with, uh, no one, I think everyone probably listening to this has heard the headlines about ransomware, you know, that's plaguing everyone. Um, yeah, phishing, phishing stuff hitting folks and people losing fortunes because a routing number got changed. There's all sorts of tragic and terrible things that are happening. Um, as a security leader who has built a security program for a fairly high-profile startup, what kind of stuff keeps you up? Or do you hear people ask questions about or trends and stuff that – what are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, some of the things you mentioned absolutely do. Ransomware is – um, you know, some of the more modern tech stacks may not be as susceptible to ransomware, but man, like you, you cannot have that mentality. You've got to have the mentality that it's, that, that you're next, right. And what can you do to prevent it? Um, and so, uh, ransomware is, is a super interesting topic of conversation, particularly going back. And, and this is by the way, not to, not to throw shade, this, this can happen to, to any, anyone, but Garmin was the one that we looked at and went. This is infrastructure. This is they're they're attacking platform infrastructure here, not corporate infrastructure. And that was um, that was an interesting shift. And our you know it kind of made us rethink you know hey what what is our ransomware strategy from a from an infrastructure perspective? Um, and so so ransomware is a big one. Um, and, and by the way, a big piece of that is not just how you protect against it, but also how you respond to it um, in the event that that something does happen to your business. What you know what is the what's the plan right? Um, and it, this goes for ransomware, but, but also other attack vectors, like consult with people who have dealt with it before. Right. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's a big one. Um, another one that I don't think you mentioned, but we talk about a lot of supply chain and, um, uh, we've, uh, just from, if you look at solar winds or, um, uh, code cove, any of these kind of high profile supply chain attacks that have happened recently, um, you know, from our perspective, it's, uh, one, you've got to have good GRC controls on the front end to make sure that you're, you know, only working with vendors that are that are reputable, that you trust. But even then, you've got to have as many compensating controls in place, as many detective controls as you possibly can to identify when something's potentially gone wrong. Um, and so, uh, you know, thinking about uh, we, we think about supply chain a lot and just just making sure that our uh, the vendors that we do allow into our environment um or access to sensitive information that that they are uh, that they continue to operate uh, with with good security controls and good security posture, but also as much as possible that we control what that vendor has access to and, and that we're kind of observing as much as possible uh, what they're doing in our environment. Um, 
And then the, the last one, I guess, that I, I, would, I would call out is um, that we talk about a lot is insider threat. And that's, that's not as much of an emerging trend. That's kind of a tale as old as time. But, um, you know, we, we, uh, we want to make sure that uh, as, as much as we have a foundation culturally built on trust, that we, we also as a security team, that we are verifying that, that our employees are, uh, you know, are, are doing things in the technology environments that we, we trust them with access to, that they're, you know, they're, they're operating uh, in, in a way that we would expect. And, um, and also that, that employees just are trained on, on the signs and what to look for. Um, sure. When it comes to insider threat. You, you mentioned supply chain, which I think is interesting because m- most of our clients, the probably the number one or two thing that they complain about is the number of security questionnaires that they are on the receiving end of. Because you're you know, if you're a business to business SaaS provider like Salesloft and like many other companies, yeah. uh, you you are in, a member of the supply chain and you have suppliers, which means that you know, the dreaded security questionnaire and the relationships uh, with customers and conversations during the sell cycle can yeah. consume a lot of your time in your day. Right. How, how have you navigated that challenge in terms of like customer interface, gaining trust with clients? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you're absolutely right. It was a great segue from supply chain to security questionnaires. Um, you know, if you look back four or five years ago, the security team was handling virtually every questionnaire that came in. Uh, and it was one person would be, you know, responsible for doing an entire questionnaire. Um, we've now got a team of commercial and enterprise sales engineers who uh, the security team works very close with to, to make sure that they're trained up, that they have the information they need to answer those questions accurately. Uh, and then the security team has this kind of high level, we'll help fill in the gaps. We'll do the QA, make sure that the, you know, the questionnaires are, are you know, truthful in presenting our program in, in, in the right light. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've come a long way in terms of the scalability of that process. Even still, it is it is an immense uh, immense burden because companies care about about these supply chain attacks and and of course as you know given our position in the tech stack uh, you know we get we get access to CRM we get access to email uh, we are absolutely and, and rightly so we should be considered part of that supply chain so we get it but it's about you know how do, how do we put a process in place that actually one is scalable for us and two ultimately builds trust. Uh, with you know with our customers interesting so that's you guys have accomplished something that i think a lot of organizations want to accomplish and that they have empowered some of their sales engineers to have access to data to self-serve some of these questions can you talk a little bit about that what was the process did you use a tool were you training them what does that look like for you all yeah, so we've had a couple different iterations. Uh, we've used uh, a couple tools. Uh, Lupio and Hypercomply have been a couple of the tools that we've used um, to, to basically uh, keep sales engineers informed of security team certified answers that they can give to questions, right? Um, so that they know, hey, I'm putting this in there and maybe I don't understand this perfectly from a technical perspective, but I know somebody in the security team did sign off on this. Um, it is still a challenge, right? You still get stuff in, in those uh, systems that go stale after a while and maybe isn't the, the best information. Uh, but that's why we're there, right? We're there to kind of be that, that additional uh, quality control. Uh, and yeah. also, to, like I said, fill in the gaps. We have a whole, a whole Slack channel that's just sales engineers asking for help with, with questionnaires. And, oh, yes. um, and like I said, we, we, we get that it is part of the business and we want to build trust with our customers. And so um, that's, that's one of the avenues that we're able to do it. 
Excellent. So last question, Mike. You've you've done a great job building a career, building a security program at a great company. There's a lot of other people who want the opportunity or want to do some of the things that you've done. So what advice would you give either a, a young leader in their first kind of security leadership role or, or you know, looking to get into that role about building a security program and, and kind of their first CISO gig? Are there a couple of things that, that stick out to you as lessons learned or things that you'd be like, hey, look, pay attention to this and you'll be successful? Yeah, um, I, I would say if, you, if you're coming from, because there's, there's always, there's, there's so many different journeys you can take to get to, you know, to a, a security leadership role. Um, if you're coming up through kind of, um, you know, a, an audit or consulting kind of background where you're getting exposure to lots of different teams, uh, it can be easy to focus on the, the project at hand. But I would encourage people to to take a look outside of just the project that they're working on. Take a look at the way teams are structured. What are the responsibilities of that team? What are some of the risks that those teams serve to mitigate that maybe aren't in the scope of your audit? Uh, because when I, when I came over to Salesloft, we started getting questions from customers that was like, yeah, we, we should probably have a control in place for that, right? And so that, that helped us to kind of, helped me to kind of see, oh, there, there's a lot more to this than just the SOC 2 and ISO 27001 frameworks, obviously, right? Uh, they, uh, you know, uh, obviously they provide a good framework and they provide kind of a good foundation for the program. But there's going to be so much that, you know, you could be ISO 27001 compliant and not, you know, not effectively mitigate risk across the business. Um, but then if you, if you think about kind of the, the engineering or operations team routes, um, I, I obviously did not come up through those routes. Uh, but I would say, uh, you know, be uh, in your journey up to leadership, obviously be a sponge, ask tons of questions. And I know that's advice that everybody gives. Um but, but, you know, try to try to understand the security landscape, not just what's going on in your business, but, you know, but beyond. Um, and then I would say once you're in that role, once you're able to kind of get into that, that leadership role, um, listen more than anything, understand what the problems are that the business faces, uh, whether it's from a security perspective or otherwise, um, make sure that you're building relationships with the people who are, who you're going to work with every day. Um, if you're in a SaaS startup, you're going to be working a lot with your DevOps team. You're going to be working a lot with the engineers. Uh, you're going to be working with your IT team heavily. Um, and so make sure that you're, you're, you know, that you're building those relationships and just getting to know the people around you. Um, and, and I'll, I'll say it one more time, but just to have the context for, for those, uh, those tougher discussions, uh, you never want to be shaking hands during an incident, during an incident, right? So you want to, you want to make sure you know everybody going into those. Good advice. Great advice. So if you guys enjoyed this conversation, you can check out Tuesday Morning Grind on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search for us 360. We have a playlist called Tuesday Morning Grind. You can check it out. Or you can listen to this on any of your favorite podcast apps and we're available. The other thing that you can do is something new that we're doing here at Risk 360. Mike, you might find this interesting, is we're creating whole playlists that break down different security frameworks uh, control by control, and then just give that information away for free. So if you're thinking about building an ISO program and you want to know how every control objective works and the auditor's perspective on it, we have that. If you want to do the same thing for SOC 2 or other frameworks, we're building that out as well. So check all of that out on YouTube. Give us feedback, comment, subscribe. We appreciate that. Mike, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me.